Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. That's right. We are over 700 episodes of this show, which was originally called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And the purpose of this show is to talk to people about how to shake things up, how to make some waves in business. And today we are going to talk about how to raise funding for your company and should you raise money for your company. And we are joined by one of the best experts I know in the world of fundraising for early stage businesses, and that is Hall Martin. Hey, Hall, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership team. Now, if your company is looking to add to your senior leadership team, you've got to fill out some roles that maybe you're adding or someone has left and you've got to find that right person. Stanton Chase is who you want to talk to. And if you regularly listen to the show, you know that I now work with Stanton Chase International. So give me a call and I will connect you with the right people to make sure you get the right executives in place. All right. So, Hall, here we go. Why in the world? Well, before we even get into that, I got to tell people who you are because I've known you for probably 20 years, but a lot of people don't. He is in the investor relations and introductions business for people who want to raise money. Now, they're not a fund. They're not a broker. They're not an angel group. They're not a syndicate, but they help startups raise money and they help investors figure out the right path so that they can set themselves up to properly invest in the right types of companies. And he has a long and deep background in doing this, probably one of the most well-known and most experienced people in this business of helping people in investor relations and introductions. So now let's jump into this. How did you get into this world of helping early stage companies grow? Sure. So I worked for a company in Austin that went public in the early 90s, and I started doing angel investing after that. We had an angel network in Austin at that time called the Capital Network. I joined, invested in a deal, and lost all my money and started to realize, well, this is harder than it looks, but I was still very interested in it. I'm an early stage guy. I like early technology, and so this is the place I wanted to work. You know, that group went away and we got a new group about five years later called the Central Texas Angel Network. And I was the first member to sign up. And when you're your first member to sign up, you're automatically on the board in charge of membership. It's a great <laughs> honor. There's no pay, but there is a great honor. And so I did that for several months and then we lost our director. So I became the director and I led it for the first two years from which we got a 40 X return for the investors off of two big, uh, big deals that came out of it. And there were some other winners in there, but the usual 75% of the deals didn't turn into much. And so that propelled the group onward. And then my undergraduate Baylor uh, university asked for my help in helping put together an angel group out of the university. So I did that. Long story short, I, I ended up starting three in angel networks in that time frame. 
in 2010, I decided, well, I'm ready to for my second career. So I retired from my day job and started what was called Texas Entrepreneurs Network. And we were helping startups raise funding, you know, get their documents ready, meet investors, et cetera. And we kept doing that and kept growing our investor network. And in 2017, we actually decided to go national with it because we were getting calls from outside of Texas wanting access to our services. So we changed the name to 10 Capital and started working around the country and have done some work overseas as well. Which I want to jump in. 10 <laughs> Capital was a really creative play on what was Texas Entrepreneurs Network, T-E-N. <laughs> That's right. So you, you went global. You had to drop Texas from the name, but you kept it there. You kept that T right there. That's right. Because we, we to this day, we still get asked, do you do any deals outside of Texas? Because we still have a very ta- strong Texas slant on what we do. A lot of our deal flow and investors are here, but we do work around the country. Te- Texas is 10% of the country, but you know, the, you know, you know, the U S is hundred percent of the country. So it was a logical place to grow into. Nice. Nice. So you said, Hey, you know, you got some money when the company you worked for went public, <laughs> you decided I'm going to be an angel investor. Yay. And you lost all your money. That's pretty common. I know a lot of people who have done exactly that. So what are some of the most common mistakes that investors make when they get into this world? So the the first mistake people make is they they really don't have an investment thesis. They haven't really thought through what they want to invest in. And it's important to sit down and really think that carefully. There's a saying in the angel world, angels want to do a little good, have a little fun and make a little money. And I found that the successful investments I made covered all three. And you want to think about that. And two, you need to think about, well, how much are you really going to put into this? If you just wait for a good deal to come along and invest here and there, you might do well, but probably not. And so what you need to do is think through your investment thesis and then think, how much money am I going to put into it? Typically, you put 3 to 5% of your investable uh, funds into it, not, not more. And then you go and divide that by 10, and that's how much you're going to put into each deal because you need a diversified portfolio of at least 10 deals. One out of 10 is going to be a home run. One out of 10 is going to go bankrupt. Two or three are going to have a decent return and the rest are going to have either middle or no return. And so you have to think hard about what you're going to invest in and and then look for deals that fit that thesis. So I want to go back. There were three things and I I tried to take notes and I only wrote two of them that that you want to have a little fun and you want to make a little money. What was the first one? Uh, Do a little good. Uh, There is a social impact that people want to have in this. It's helping the startup. It's helping the community. uh, It's helping, uh, you know, the the community as a whole. So it's something that you you need to think about how are we doing that? Because in the end, that that makes for a better outcome. So I love the three of those together because that's really a great motto for business in general, not just angel investing. You know, do a little good, have a little fun. And make some money. I think if you can do those three things, your career is going to rock over over the over the long run. And I like it. Interesting when you said when you look at the organizations that you've invested in where you've made money, it's because all three of those things went together. You you, you did a little good and you had a little fun along with that cash. And I think that's a good a good thing for people to to keep in mind. Now, what are some mistakes companies make when they go out to raise money? Well, the first mistake people make is they come up with a the biggest number they can think of to grow the business. And they want to raise that in their first round on their first day. And in the early days of a startup or a business, you want to think about minimum, minimum viable product, uh, minimum fundraise, because you're giving up equity for that money. And so you don't want to raise too much at that valuation. Over time, you're, as you get more product and 
the sales, your, your valuation goes up and the majority of the funding should be raised a little bit later. That's why startups are a little bit hard. You just don't have all the resources and you have to be very clever about how you do it. And the idea is what's the biggest bang for the buck you can get for the money that you raise? What's the most important thing you can do? So it forces you to be more creative with the resources. And so that's, that's step one is you want to raise as little as you need to, to get to the next level. And then you can raise later Two, you, you, you milestone out the raise. You don't raise it all in one go. You raise some money, deploy it, and then go raise some more, deploy it. And you stair step your way up that uh, ladder. Otherwise you're spending the first three years of your life just raising money. And that's very hard. You, you have to show results and traction in order to raise more. So you focus on people who are doing series A, series B, and maybe a little bit of, of series C fund, funding rounds. Now there's a lot of people who have, you know, an idea. They just left their company and they have an idea. They're not really ready to start raising money at the level that, you, that you're talking about. So let's talk about people who, who you know, because they, they think they can because they've never done it before. Let's talk about that person with an idea and no product. You know, what's different about them and at what point should they start looking uh, what stage should the company be at where they start working with somebody like you? Sure. So when you have revenue, you've actually sold something and you have what I call market validation and product validation. People will pay for it and the product works even at a very minimal level. Then you're in the game for raising funding from outside of family and friends. Earlier on, you should be putting your money and your family and friends money in and then you start to draw the circle wider. And at that point, there should be a product in the market that you can point to saying, yep, I can build products, I can sell products and we are on our way. There's a vision there that you're starting to see come come into focus that you can sell to investors. You don't want to show up to investors without that because you just never, or you're not going to get anything if you show up to external investors empty handed, I call it. You know, you have to show that you've actually done something and you, in the early days, it's about validation. It's not about big revenue. It's not about high growth. It's about validating you have the right product, the right idea, the right business model. It's working at some level. So at what point should a pre-Series A company come to work with somebody like you who can help educate them on what they need to do? You've actually validated it in the sense that you, you've proven what the conversion rates are. I put this on my website. I got this many leads, this many bought. This is, here's how much they paid for it. Now I have validation. I have evidence that it works versus I, I can't do anything until I get 500K. That's, that's a bit of a tough sell for investors because we haven't really demonstrated anything yet. And that's the key with raising funding is you have to demonstrate the growth story. No fair just forecasting the growth story. You have to actually show it's in motion right now. All right. So what are some of the changes you've seen now in the, the almost 20 years that you've been doing this or, or more? What are some of the changes you've seen in sort of the startup world and raising money? Because it's changed a lot. I've noticed just from my sideline observing. Well, I always say that the principles of fundraising remain the same. It's the technologies and the formats that have changed. So when I started, you know, investors used to come in with a $50,000 check, look around the room of 10 deals and hand it to one person. Okay, you get the money. Back in the 90s, when I, I lost that money, uh, it was very common for people to stand up and ask for $5 million to start a web business. And yet, and nobody today believes that, uh, believes me when I tell them that, but realize back then, it, to build a web business in the 90, early 90s, you had to build your own server farm, you had to pay American wages for everything, you had to buy everything, you couldn't rent 
very few services. 10 years later, when I started those angel networks, the average investment was around $500,000. And this is now because you had AWS and you had all kinds of services that dropped the cost of it. And so that's when angels really came up because they were right in the center of 500K raises. And what's happened since then is that it's continued to devolve downward into online crowdfunding. Now we see a lot of groups that are uh, actually able to let you come and invest in a startup for as little as $100. The average investment on a startup equity crowdfunding site is $500. So my $50,000 check is now being replaced by many, many people putting in $500 each. So they're sharing the load. And so more deals can get funded that way. So we're seeing uh, it just go out, democratize further. So more people can invest in startups. And so there's more, more activity going on in the space. Plus, wasn't there about a year or two ago some changes in what it took to be an accredited investor? Didn't didn't the the laws change around that? So they, they modified them a little bit. They were originally set in 1968. And since then, there's only been one major change to the original rule, which was you can't count the house you live in. But essentially, you have to have a million dollars to be an accredited investor or 200K of annual revenue two years in a row. But what you'll see is that they're actually expanding in other ways. If you take a Series 69 compliance test, you can actually become a credit investor. If you're working with a family office, you are a credit investor. So there's many more ways and they, they keep trying to expand the options that people can use to become accredited so that there's more people that can participate because, you know, private investment is becoming that much more important than public investment. There's actually more private uh, opportunities out there than there are publicly listed opportunities to invest in today. So what do you think of some of these competitions that some of the angel networks do? I was involved with one last year. I was super impressed with everybody who made it through. They started with, oh, I forget the number, but lots of companies and narrowed it down to six finalists. And then uh, they split up, I forget, it was like half a million dollars or more between the the three the three or four that, 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 that placed in the thing. What do you think about companies getting involved with these? Because some of the entrepreneurs that I interviewed from that one competition had been in a number of those to stitch together some funding. It, it, it is a circuit now, especially at the university level. There's over 200 university competitions going on and know quite a few uh, startups that actually made their money because once you have a successful raise with one university and you kind of understand the game and what they're looking for, you just simply rinse and repeat by going to the other universities. There's hundreds of these going on and you show up, you know how to pitch, you already have the plan, you already have the slides. So it's pretty much just execution at that point. While your competition in most cases who have never done it before are still trying to put their slides together and phys- figure out their business model. So we do see what we what I, I sometimes term the semi professional student fundraise where they they um, they look like they've they've done this enough that they look like a professional even though we're, they're in the amateur class so to speak. So it, it is a way to raise some funding because there's there's quite a few of these competitions available. And then it's great springboard off into the local angel network and other groups because you have the pitch practice and the and the uh, the great pitch deck for it. So when somebody is truly an amateur at this, they've never they've mm-hmm. never pitched to an angel network to one of these mm-hmm. competitions that we're talking about or, or or anything. How many people go in cold and just do it and go wah wah wah? A lot versus, of them. <laughs> versus how many people get someone like you or others to coach them along the way and and, and help them figure out what they need to do. 
Oh, I still see about half the people that show up to the angel groups today really haven't gone out and gotten feedback on their deal or their pitch deck or their presentation. And so they, they miss the mark by a wide margin. You know, the, the biggest mistake people make at that stage is they treat the investor like a customer. There, there's 20 slides of which 19 are about the product, how it works and why you buy it and how you'd use it and so forth. But realizing that the investor really wants to know more about the team and the market, the business model and the monetization and the track record and the, the revenue and not just how the product works. And so that's, that's the key thing. You do need coaching to figure out what do the investors really look for if you're not an investor. And that's most startups for sure. And how important is their, their actual presentation skills? I've actually been hired by probably over the years, only five or six, but, but five or six executives who were doing a fundraise who somebody said, you need to get better at actually pitching. And while I don't know anything about that, I do know how to give a good presentation. And so the investor would help them put the pitch together and or the coach would help them put the pitch together for the investors. I would help them get up there and not sound like they'd never stood in front of a crowd before. So how important is the presentation skills to raising money? It's- I say it's quite important because that's what investors are doing is they're looking at the skills of the CEO or the one presenting, you know, can they use those skills to recruit employees? Can they close customers with those communication skills? Do they know their business strong enough to pick the right vendors and suppliers to work with? So they're very much looking at those pitch skills to see as this is a key factor for being successful because you have to do so many things, especially as a CEO. And if you can't pitch an investor, how are you going to do the other things? So you're right. It, it, a good, strong pitch goes a lot further than the weak pitch of maybe a good deal because there's no no strong CEO behind it that's really going to sell this thing. If you're not selling me, how are you going to sell everybody else? Because we all know how hard to start it is to launch and grow for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a little sideline, but I think all CEOs should go through both media training and presentation skills training. And I've not so much, I've done about five or six for people doing pitches, but I've worked with probably a couple dozen CEOs who are like, yeah, I'm the CEO. I probably should do better in an employee meeting <laughs> or when I go to an industry conference than I'm doing. And I always say that, you know, here's the thing. We, we look at, look at presidents of the United States just in the last 20 years, uh, 30 years. We judge the ones who were better presenters as somehow being smarter and more qualified and the ones who stumbled on their words and stuff like that, we discredit and, you know, say, well, they, they weren't as smart or this and that presentation skills change the presumption of that leader. Do you agree? Absolutely. You have to convince employees to come work for you. You have to sell customers to buy your product. You have to, you know, sell your investors to put money in. And so you need to have good presentation skills. Confidence is one of it. Knowing your market and industry is another. You need to drop numbers in to show that you know the size of your market, the growth rates, the competition. You you need to be deemed as the expert in the field in order to raise funding. And that's somewhat true with all, most of those other things of hiring and uh, you know, closing customers is you have to be very competent in your skills to win that business. And another piece of presentation skills is being able to think on your feet. So I would imagine when you're in these pitches and you're trying to raise money for investors, they're going to ask you questions. And sometimes those aren't going to be the questions you anticipated. So if you're not able to immediately pivot and give a solid, smart answer, that might lessen your chance of getting the funding, correct? Yes. And, you know, that comes with practice for sure. Also comes with knowing your business, having thought through those questions and what the answers are as well. And then sometimes being creative, you know, coming up with new ideas and new ways to present things. So certainly good creative uh, communication skills are a key point. 
All right, Hall, I've got more questions for you on this topic. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Mm. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Hall Martin. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. And I want to thank Podfly. They have been my partner and a sponsor of this show for now over seven years. Never could have done this podcast if I hadn't stumbled upon Podfly Productions. All right. So Hall, we're talking about how to raise funding for your company. Is there anything else we really need to touch on that we haven't gotten to about how do you do this? Well, the key is who do you raise funding from is a key element. And one of the things I found is sometimes people come to me and they say, basically, you know, I didn't put money in. My family didn't put money in. Nobody bought anything. No one else invested. How about you? Uh, well, you, you know where that answer is going to go. It's if nobody else is in the deal, the, the investor you're talking to will not be one of them as well. <laughs> and so it's all about building support and validation from the investors. So a much better story is to say my family put money in, I put money in, people are buying the product, other investors are in, how about you? This is a, the way to go. So fundraising is all about proving it out and generating support. And I like things like Kickstarter for doing reward crowdfunding campaigns because it demonstrates that people are buying your product. I like startup equity crowdfunding campaigns because it proves other people are investing in your business. And to show that your family and your friends and you yourself have put money in is also good validation. So when you're, you're raising funding, you know, bring those validation points to a head and really show all the support that's going on with it. The rule of pitching is if you don't mention it, it doesn't exist. So if I have revenue and I don't mention it and people do this, uh, you don't get credit for that. The investors walk out the door saying too bad they didn't have revenue. Uh, so you need to articulate all the values that are in the business to win that uh, the fundraise. So, you know, think, think through very carefully what you have. And that's the challenge for some startups. The curse of knowledge, as you know, put you so close to it that you assume, you know, everybody knows what you know. I used to sit through those business plan competitions we talked about before, and I used to time them to see at what point in the presentation can I actually figure out what they do. And I think the actual winner was a, a company that was making base stations for telecom si systems. And it was uh, uh, 30 seconds from the end, they actually let slip what they actually did. And because they just assumed we all knew what it was, or they put a picture up there and they assumed we could understand what they were doing from that, this highly complicated cellular tower with all kinds of equipment on it. And we were trying to figure out which, which piece of that do they do. And so the word, thing I always say is, in five words or less, tell people what you do. We make radiation hardened memories, for example. So now we know what it is. And I find that you need to do that up front because when you're pitching investors, if they don't know what you do and they don't have that context, it's really hard for them to evaluate everything else. And there a little bit of cognitive dissonance goes along until they get to that point. So there's certain ways, things of pitching that really solidify your position so that you can go from here to there with the presentation. Nice. Nice. All right. So is there a time that a company comes to you and says, oh, we, we want to go out and fundraise and you think 
you don't need to fundraise or you shouldn't fundraise besides not being ready yet. Is there other reasons why maybe the answer is you shouldn't be doing this? Sure. Some people think you you have to have money in order to grow the business, but that's not always true. If you're in the right segment with the right business model and the right monetization model, you don't have to take money from outside investors. You can get that money from your customers. And this is one of the biggest things I tell startups who come to me who want to raise money and they usually don't have anything is one of the best ways to raise money is with finding two or three customers that need your product and then charging them a custom price, not a standard price, but a custom price to make something unique for them. But that money is going in to build your platform, build your system, follow your IP and so forth. And so you're getting money from the customers rather than from uh, an outside investor. And the beauty of that is it's non-dilutive. They're not taking any equity. They're simply giving you money for an additional service. So think along the lines of what kind of consultation or contract work can I do up front that pro, that helps my business go forward. Don't just take anything that takes you off into another direction. But if you can build something custom, I find uh, they'll pay a nice price for it. So they get exactly what they want, but they've actually now helped you build your product that you can go to market for a standard price. All right, let's move over and do a little commercial for 10 Capital Network. So who are the ideal people that you want to know and, and, and what can we do to help you grow your business? Sure. So if you're a startup and you have revenue and you're in the market and you think you need to raise funding and you are ready for that, by all means, contact 10 Capital and we'll talk about how our investor relations service can help you find the right investor for your business going forward. I talked to a lot of a lot of startups and they're spending a tremendous amount of time just seeing what is out there. What can I get from which source and what does this money cost and what do I have to do to get that money? And we can shorten that time frame and tell you what that answer is and start focusing on the right investors from the get-go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hall, for being here. Uh, if people want to find you, where do they go? On my website, 10capital.group.group. There is no .com on that. 10 Capital is uh, comes from our name, Texas Entrepreneurs Network. And uh, when we went national, we moved to the 10capital.group moniker and been there ever since. So looking forward to talking with you guys. Awesome. Well, it was such a pleasure to have you here on the show. Any final words? Uh, thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed it. And uh, I believe in entrepreneurship. I believe in innovation. And so that's why I, I work with startups every day is we want to solve the world's problems with entrepreneurship and innovation. So looking forward to working with you and uh, your group as well. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I be doing this podcast for seven years? Thank you so much to so many of you who listen. The reason this podcast has continued and grown and it's actually spun out business for me as a speaker because many of you have referred me to the associations you belong to. The reason it's worked is because of all of you. So please go tell a friend. People say, how do you grow your podcast? You get people who listen to tell other people. When I meet people who listen to this little show, I say, how did you find mine? There's 2 million podcasts that have been started. And usually the answer is my boss told me about it, my neighbor, my mom. Somebody said, you'll enjoy this show. So help spread that word. Go tell somebody about making waves at sea level. They can get it on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Heck, wherever you get your podcast love, you can find making waves at sea level. So go tell some people and then go about Flex your own entrepreneurial muscles. Grow your business or your career in the way you want. And make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb that career ladder to find out it's in the wrong place. And while you're out there doing all these things, have some fun along the way. Go have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. 
Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.